0: chapter 15 of forest days by g p r james this Lipavox recording is in the public domain chapter 15 the greatest men that ever lived if we were to examine accurately all the actions that they have performed at different periods of their existence and could try them with impartial and perfectly discriminating judgment would be found to have committed more than one great mistake in which in many instances did not lead to the evil consequences that might have been anticipated and on the contrary very often indeed a trifling fault a rash word a faultless act or even an angry look has produced more important results than one of these capital errors sometimes it has been conduct which has retrieved the fault but history shows us that the moment at which an act is committed more frequently decides whether the consequences shall be great or insignificant than the nature of the act itself at the period of history of which we now speak the famous simon de montford earl of leicester justly celebrated both as a soldier and a politician one of the few men with a prophetical spirit to foresee the path in which society will march and forestall their age in choosing it had committed that grand mistake which led to his overthrow and death Often before this period, he had proceeded with inferior forces from one end of the land to the other, and, supported by the strong popular feeling in his favor, had overthrown all his enemies, holding his weak and tyrannical sovereign a mere prisoner in his hands, and keeping even Prince Edward himself, one of the wisest men and best soldiers of the age, in a state of honorable captivity. No evil results had ensued, no great danger even had been incurred. But the times had changed. Many of those who had attached themselves to de Montfort upon the less virtuous and honourable motives which affect the course of human actions had been treated by him with cold and most impolitic neglect. Others feared the consequences of his growing power, either for themselves or their country, not taking in the vast range to which his own political vision extended and others were indignant at his treatment of their king, who, however weak, vicious, and tyrannical, they still looked upon with feudal respect. Many of the lords of the Marches of Wales were actually in arms against his power, and the famous Earl of Gloucester, a factious kinsman of the throne, had been for some time assuming loyalty, and displaying a thinly veiled enmity to the party of de Montfort at this inauspicious moment the earl of leicester had determined to march from the neighbourhood of london by whose citizens he had always been vigorously supported and where his chief strength lay and to advance to the frontiers of wales with the purpose of punishing the malcontents who refused to submit to his authority by thus removing from the proximity of his best resources he rendered the power of his adversaries and his own so nearly equal that it wanted but one of those slight accidents which so frequently overthrow the best-laid schemes to turn the balance against him, and that accident was soon destined to occur. With the exception of this great mistake, not the slightest error has been pointed out in his conduct, at least in a military point of view. His march was conducted with the circumspection, and, with a force no means large, keeping the king and the prince eager for deliverance and assisted by many friends at his side while he advanced in the midst of enemies equal if not superior in numbers to himself he proceeded with slow and careful steps to gloucester and there entered into negotiations with gilbert de clare his most formidable opponent in order to induce him once more to join the party which had so frequently asserted the rights of the people Against the encroaching spirit of Henry the third deceived in some degree by pretended advances on the part of the earl of Gloucester, he agreed to refer their differences to arbitration and recommenced his march for Hereford, but still with the most scrupulous precaution guarded his royal companions and frustrated every effort made by the earl to take him at a disadvantage and to set them free at the same time perceiving that in order to attain the great objects he had in view he must strengthen himself to the utmost of his power he notified to all his friends the absolute necessity of their combining to give him support and marching to his assistance with all the troops that they could levy the effect of his messages and exhortations we have seen in the meetings held in yorkshire and gradually perceiving that there was no chance of recovering the friendship of gloucester he prepared to compel that submission which he could not obtain by gentler means. Men were gathering from all parts, arms were being manufactured in every town, the land was agitated from end to end, and everyone looked forward to a great and decisive struggle, though there were few, it must be confessed, who did not believe that de Montsfort would triumph. For the prestige of victory hung around his banner, and the whole air and tone of the great leader were those of a man marked out by the hand of God for success. Such was the state of affairs when Hugh de Mothemer, with his small troop, after having visited the town of Gloucester, and learned that his uncle had proceeded at once to Hereford, arrived in that fair city. It was now filled with soldiers and with noblemen from different parts of the country, so that a lodging would have been difficult to obtain had not the old Earl of mothomer secured a portion of the inn called the May, which we have once led the reader, for the dwelling of himself and his nephew. Hugh found but small space, however, allotted to him and to those who accompanied him. A party of his own servants who had gone on with the Earl were already in possession, two having taken up their abode in the small ante-room, leading to the chamber which had been assigned to himself and an adjoining room, not very large, with one somewhat less, at the side, was all that remained for the rest of his retinue, and the five archers who had been left behind by his uncle. The other parts of the inn were completely filled, and for the boy Tangil no place had, of course, been reserved, as everyone had been ignorant of his coming. The dwarf, who had seemed to grow more sad at each day's journey from Sherwood, stood in the doorway of the ante-room as the young lord entered, listening to the arrangements which had been made. "'Where to put the maggot that you have brought, my lord?' said the old servant, who was explaining to Hugh the fullness of the rooms and the disposition they had been obliged to adopt, and who did not appear at all well pleased at Portangel's addition to the party. "'Where to put the maggot you have brought, I cannot tell. The ante-room is scarce big enough for the two yeomen, and—' "'He shall sleep in my chamber,' said Hugh, "'noting the dwarf's desolate look. "'Come hither, Tangil, "'thou shalt sleep on a bed at my feet. "'Know him and take care of him, Walsh, "'for he is a good and faithful boy, "'true and affectionate to his master, "'and if any one does him wrong, "'he shall answer to me for it.' "'The boy darted forward and kissed his hand, "'and Hugh de Mothama, "'after giving some farther directions "'to ensure that he was protected "'against insult as well as injury,' Proceeded at once, followed by two servants, armed with sword and buckler, to the magnificent castle of Hereford, whither he found that his uncle had gone about an hour before. It was a gay and bustling scene that the courtyard presented, for as every detail of military life was then complicated in the extreme, and the taste for splendour and expense was at its height, the crowd of followers, in gaudy dresses, who accompanied even the inferior officers of any army hither, caused the headquarters of the general to appear in a constant state of flutter and pageantry. Forcing his way through the crowd, and, from the scanty number of his attendants, attracting but little attention, Hugh de Mothama ascended the steps into the great hall of the keep, which he found nearly filled with people, pacing up and down, and as he was not acquainted with the building, He asked a gentleman, who seemed at his ease in the place, to tell him where he could find the Earl of Leicester. The personage to whom he addressed himself pointed to a flight of steps leading from the farther end of the hall, and replied, "'At the top of the stairs you will meet with someone who will tell you where the Earl is, but you will not get speech of him, I think.' "'I think I shall,' replied Hugh. "'But, at all events, I thank you.' and ascending the stairs he was stopped by an officer with a partisan who asked him his business and in the same breath told him he could not pass that way hugh gave his name and demanded to see the earl upon which a page was sent to knock at the council chamber and ask if the earl would see the young lord of mothamer in about three minutes the boy returned bidding him follow and hugh was led along the dark and gloomy corridor "'until the guide paused and again tapped at a low, narrow door "'on the left-hand side of the passage. "'After a moment's interval, a deep voice replied, "'Come in,' and the next instant Hugh entered the room "'and found himself standing within a step or two of the chair "'in which de Montford was seated. "'He was a tall, powerful, square-browed man "'with a countenance full of thought, but likewise full of confidence.' There was great calmness also in his aspect, and an eye not stern but grave, not so much shrewd as searching. There were but two other persons in the room, although he was said to be holding counsel. One of those was the old Earl of Mothama, and the other man considerably younger, but yet grey-haired and well-known in the history of the times as the Lord Ralph Bassett. De Montford looked up as Hugh de Mothama entered, with a bland and pleasant smile, holding out his hand at the same time, and saying, "'How are you, Hugh? Right glad are we to see such friends as you arrive. Do you bring us any farther tidings from Nottingham?' "'None, my lord,' replied Hugh, "'except that levies of the yeomen and foresters are going on rapidly.' "'They had need be speedy,' said de Montford, "'or we shall strike some great blow before they come. "'Heard you aught else, by the way?' "'In truth, my lord, I did, and no good news either,' replied Hugh. "'The Earl of Gloucester is daily gathering strength, "'and he renders the road round his fair city somewhat dangerous to travel. "'Indeed, the reason why I intruded on you now "'was but to tell you that Ulurid de Ashby, his sister, "'and some twelve or fourteen archers, "'had been captured by De Clare between Gloucester and Charlton. "'I judge, my lord, that if you took speedy means to to set him free, it might fix the house of Ashby somewhat more firmly in the good cause. Both de Montfort and the Earl of Mothomer heard him with a smile, and Ralph Bassett muttered between his teeth, Fix the sands of the sea. You have been forestalled, my young friend, said de Montfort. Someone else had already liberated Alurid de Ashby, together with his sister and his archers. Indeed, exclaimed Hugh de Mothomer. "'May I ask who?' "'Gilbert de Clare, Earl of Gloucester,' replied de Montford. "'I and not without cause to be sure of that,' said Ralph Bassett. "'He is coming hither now, will arrive to-morrow, "'with a smooth air and a high-carried head, "'and my Lord of Leicester here will receive him as kindly "'and frankly as the truest of his friends.' "'I want not to multiply my enemies, Ralph,' replied de Montford and perhaps we may find some better way of attaching him to what is right than by treating him as a foe before we are well sure that he has done aught to deserve the name what say you hugh will you be the link to bind him to our cause right willingly my lord answered hugh de Mothimer, but i rather fear that i am more likely to separate him from it he loves me not that is clear and though the good earl his uncle is not so hot and fiery in his nature "'yet I have those things to say about their near relation, Richard, "'which may breed ill blood before I have done.' "'De Montford mused for a minute or two. "'Why, Richard,' he said at length, "'is apparently the most zealous in our cause of all the race.' "'But did my uncle?' demanded Hugh. "'Aye, ah, he did,' said de Montfort, interrupting him. "'And I spoke with Richard about it, "'but he assures me that the thing was done in ignorance.' and that the man himself has since been discharged. However, he is a foul knave, replied Hugh de Mothomer, and at all events I have promised to demand at the hands of the Earl some reparation for a gross wrong which he has committed. Well, well, said the Earl of Leicester, apparently desirous of changing the subject for the time. If you must do so, Hugh, let it be done before some friends as witnesses, before myself, perhaps, were better, and do whatever you do gently for your uncle here has told me of hopes and wishes which you may go far to mar if you act rashly in the business i will be as calm and gentle as the south-west wind replied hugh for i would fain give neither alured nor his father any matter for offence and if you will send and let me know when they are with you i will come and speak to them in your presence and now my lord he continued "'If such a thing be permitted, as I suppose it is, "'I would fain spend a short time with Prince Edward. "'You know we were sworn friends in youth.' "'I know you were,' replied de Montfort. "'But good sooth you. "'To have been his sworn friend is no good motive, in my eyes, "'for letting you confer with him.' "'The brow of Hugh de Mothma grew somewhat dark, "'but the Earl of Leicester added immediately, "'I will tell you what is a motive, however, my young friend.' your own honour and high name. We treat the prince with every courtesy and due respect. We do not look upon him as a prisoner. But it is highly needful for the safety of the state, aye, and for our own lives and fortunes, that he should remain in close attendance upon his father, the king. Now, my good friend, there are men who would fain persuade him, it were better for him to be away. Consulting, doubtless, with this good Earl of Gloucester, and heading armies to tear the kingdom with fresh strife, while others again would willingly give him the means of carrying such designs into execution. None that we even suspect, therefore, do we permit to visit him. And this very Richard de Ashby, whom we spoke of but now, though he gave good reasons, as I have said, to make us believe him innocent, we have, on your uncle's information, forbidden to hold any farther communication with the prince. "'and, moreover, warned him to quit Hereford without delay. "'It is different, however, with Amothema," continued the Earl, "'with a gracious but stately inclination of the head. "'You can be trusted.' "'Of this, at least, my lord, you may rest assured,' replied Hugh, "'that, although I own I wish to see the Prince at liberty, "'and only bound by solemn vows to take no part against the cause of freedom and right,' "'No wise man trusts to fetters of wind,' interrupted the earl, who had taken up a pen and was writing at the table. "'At all events,' continued Hugh de Mothemer, "'I would never basely use a permission you yourself had granted to thwart your dearest wishes.' "'I know it,' said the earl. "'There is a pass. You will find the prince in the other court, but make what speed you may, for it is growing dusk and the castle gates must soon be closed.' "Haste away, Hugh," said his uncle; "in an hour I shall be at the inn." CHAPTER fifteen